0: I remember driving up there, and we still hadn't met anyone personally. We had all these trucks packed, all our gear packed, and, you know, pulling into this hotel,
1: and be like, we might be getting punked. This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by MaineBiz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a Maine business leader whose life or business was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series helps us to make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank and Maine Technology Institute, or MTI. Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before. Which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities – and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org.
2: Welcome, everyone. I'm Renee Cordes with the Maine Biz podcast team. We're here today with Ryan Eldridge and Chase Morrill from Kennebec Cabin Company in Manchester, Maine. You may know them better from Maine Cabin Masters. A reality show on cable TV that's put Maine on the map for rural living and the ideal place for carpenters and builders, even with people who've never set foot here before or don't know anything else about Maine. They're here to talk about how they became reality TV stars and what that's meant for their business. Chase and Ryan, welcome to our show. So, to get us started, tell us a bit about your yourselves. Uh, where you're from and and where you grew up.
0: Yeah, my name is Ryan Eldridge. I grew up in Gardner, Maine. Went to college at UMaine Orno for a year, and then I ended up at UMaine Farmington. And through that time, I, you know, was going for a teaching degree. I always tinkered a little bit and built and um, traveled a lot. Been a crazy ride since then. So,
2: great. We'll get into that that all in a minute. And and Chase.
3: So yeah, I grew up with my sister in Augusta. We all live in the greater Augusta area now, Wayne. I've got married with four kids and yeah.
2: And do each of you have... A family camp, you know, as Mainers are so fond of having, I think the moral, one of the moral family camps was featured in an episode of yours.
0: Yeah, we've, we've all been very lucky. You know, everyone in Maine growing up knows someone that has a camp. My family has ties to Cobbesee Lake, and I know the morals have ties to Clearwater Lake. And since the episodes aired, my mother-in-law, Chase and Ash's mom, she had a cabin in one of the first episodes up in Garabasa Valley. So that's a place is very dear to us as well.
2: And just so our, our, we have a lot of listeners not from not from Maine. So maybe explain the term camp, because I think that's very um, <laughs> particular to Maine. How do you define a camp?
0: Well, it's funny because in Maine, it's up to camp, you know, but most people call them cabins. We always say camp is in Maine. It just has so many different meanings and it's different to each family because, sure. you know, to some families, it's a small little tiny hunting shack in the middle of nowhere. But there's families that have a $2 million beach house. And, uh, but that, and, but it's the same to them. You know, it's a place where they get together. They enjoy time with their family. They don't worry about the stresses of life and they just get to relax.
2: So, Ryan, you already alluded to this a little bit. How did you each get into carpentry? Was like, you know, building things or rebuilding things always part of uh, growing up for you, Ryan?
0: I think growing up in Maine, you know, you, you got to fix things yourself, your parents, you know, to fix things to save money, you know, that a lot of the people that started it was just, it was purely because you just did it yourself. You found, found, a, found a way to do it, you know, to, to save money. And then, you know, I just loved it because I love being outside. If I was out West bartending and skiing, there's always a carpentry job. I worked in Bar Harbor, you know, some summers there's always a carpentry job and, you know, I'll bet sugar It, it, it complements a lot of the other things I did very well and it keeps you outside. And Chase? Yeah, I think Ryan hit it right on the head that, you know, in Maine,
3: you kind of do what you need to do to get by. My grandfather was an engineer and, you know, worked on a lot of cabins, you know, did carpentry construction. My father did odd jobs, was handyman. And I kind of grew up around that. I went to school up in Bar Harbor. And then, you know, like Ryan said, it's either carpentry or restaurants or both. And I followed the carpentry path.
2: Sounds like it was in your blood, safe to say.
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I had a lot of experience. And again, it's one of those things where, you know, you're working with your hands, you're outside, and it's just, yeah, it was a natural progression.
2: And so after high school, Ryan, I think you had interest in becoming an engineer initially.
0: Yeah, so it's funny. Uh, I grew up, my dad worked for uh, Maine DOT in, in the bridge department, building bridges. So I was always on job sites with bulldozers and cranes and I really liked it and I thought I wanted to go into that. So I took five years of math in high school to get in the engineering program or no. and come to find out I don't like math. <laughs> you know, it, took, it only took me about a year to figure that out. And But you know, you grow up, you always want to do what your parents do. Like, you know, I, I, you know, I grew up in Gardner. We didn't travel much then. We didn't have a lot of money so I was pretty sheltered and, you know, it's, it became clear, very clear to me that that wasn't my thing, you know. and So I went to farming. I always loved kids and I didn't mind Speaking to people and I, you know, so I went to teaching. I've done all my practical, my student teaching, got my degree, but I was, you know, having a great time bartending and doing carpentry. And Chase. I went to college up in Bar Harbor at College
3: of the Atlantic. And, you know, it's pretty, everybody gets a human ecology degree. It's a pretty loose liberal arts degree. I think on my resume or transcript, it said chemistry and Asian studies.
2: Okay. (laughs) Sounds like an interesting mix.
3: (laughs) No wonder he can deal with all of us.
2: Very well-rounded.
3: Right. I took some time off and, you know, spent some time out west, ended up coming back here, bought a house, renovated that. And again, you know, kind of just picked up work with my father and his company as needed. And then it kind of expanded from there.
2: Great. And now tell us how the two of you uh, first crossed paths. I don't know if Ryan first met Ashley, and then your future wife, who is Chase's sister. So tell us the the story, the sequence.
3: You know, we like I said, we all grew up in Augusta Gardner area. So it's Ryan, Ashley, Jared Baker, Matt Dix, and me, who are all kind of the main crew to start with. It was actually Matt Dix or Dixie who kind of, you know, went to college with Ryan. we went to high school with Dixie. So he was kind of the connection for all of us. And yeah, then Ryan and Ashley got together, we kind of joined forces, and then the opportunity for the show kind of presented itself.
2: So tell us first uh, what you were doing before the, the show opportunity came along. You were a team of how many at, at that time?
0: Shoot, not many. Five or six? Yeah, five or six of us.
2: And what, what did you call yourselves? Because I think this was long before uh, the the Kennebec Cammon Cam- Cam- Company.
0: Kind of property services, kinda, right? Your dad's business. We were all subcontractors, independent yep. carpenters.
3: And we just teamed up for this project. And, you know, it was work, it was going
0: well. Dixie and Jedi had worked for me. I had moved back to the area maybe eight, 10 years before, and was doing fences. And over time, I started doing more like garages and decks. And then Dixie started working for me. And then Jared moved home from out west. And, you know, Chase had Justin. Uh, a couple other people. He asked me if we want to join forces on that one. And
2: say, so you guys had just—we're just doing your first project. You—you you yeah. got a call, I believe, from a producer interested in doing a reality show. So, what do you remember about that call? That was, I think, in January 2014, right? Yeah. So uh, what
3: it was is my daughter's friend's mother worked for Kennebec Land Trust, and she had received a casting. Call, they were putting out there trying to find this production company from Colorado's looking to find carpentry crews in Maine to do something with. And she knew them and she knew us and kind of mentioned it. So I made some initial inquiries to find out, you know, if, if it was real, what was going on. And then, you know, it kind of progressed from there. I showed up on the job site, middle of February, freezing cold, asked the guys if they wanted to be on TV. And they're like, yeah, sure. Let us get back to work. It's too cold. We laughed.
0: We didn't believe him. We thought it was a joke.
2: <laughs> and, and Chase, how did you determine that, that this production company was, was legit? Did you make some inquiries or do any research?
0: No, I probably should
2: have. <laughs> did, you, did you have a gut feeling about it?
0: So we do the Skype interview and we, we realize, OK, something's going on. It's real. Like they call back and they set something up. So next thing you know, we're meeting them up in Bangor like two or three months later to take them up in the Allogast for three weeks. And we're not talking like, you know, motel stuff like that. We're talking, we brought in all our supplies for three weeks, gas, extra tires. We went in and we weren't coming out. And so it was a lot. And I remember driving up there and we still hadn't met anyone personally. We had all these trucks packed, all our gear packed and, you know, pulling into this hotel and we're like, we might be getting punked. You know, we didn't know if it was a setup, but when Chase came out, his eyes were like wide open. He's like, "I can't even believe all the gear we loaded up in
3: Farmington." Yeah, we've you know all our trucks, and we drove up to Bangor to meet up with the film crew. Who we you know they flew into Bangor. we have never met them before. You know, we'd done plenty of you know over the phone talking logistics sure. all that, but when we showed, like I said, you know they're all in their big black SUVs and trucks and all their camera gear. It was, yeah, it was something to see.
2: Tell us about that project. So that was
0: a pilot for the History Channel that was called Lost Cabin Hunters. The premise of that show is we fight our way into these old cabins in the middle of nowhere and try to fix them. And I mean, it was a fight. I, I think they were, we had to actually call up there and have people bring in skitters and then plow the roads. You know, we can't plow the roads up there we to get all the special permission. If that correct, Chase, right? Oh yeah, and, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, Logis- it was logistic. It was months and months of logistics. And the night we went in, we were running behind. We went in at like, I don't know, nine or 10. And it was a snowstorm. And like, we were, there was no way to turn around. I mean, it, it-, it was scary to look back now. It's like pretty impressive and kind of crazy that we did it.
2: Did you th- ever think of saying no? Or once you got out there, did you think, oh my gosh, what, what are we doing? What have we gotten ourselves into? Oh,
0: it was too late for that. Right. Well, I mean, you- literally you're up there. It's, not survival mode in the worst sense, but you, you gotta take life serious and you gotta work. Like there's generators, there's no power, there's no phone service, there's no gas. Like it, it's it's, re- it's real old school. when we're working up there and trying to make a TV show.
2: Ryan, you said this was an initial show for the History Channel? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was
3: yeah. a pilot. They are following a main crew and following an Alaskan crew. And so, you know, there was a crew in Alaska doing the same exact thing. And so they got all the footage and they were putting it together. And, you know, we have a family camp up on the St. John River near Nine Mile Bridge. So we stayed there and we, you know, knew about an old trapper's cabin that we fixed up. And it, it, was, it was quite an experience, but it wasn't what the History Channel was looking for at the time.
2: Okay, and then so tell me how you got from the History Channel to work with the uh, DIY productions on the, the main cabin master show mm-hmm. and the pilot for that. Was it the same producers it was the same
3: production company. And once the History Channel, you know, kind of passed, the production, you know, wanted to keep working with us. So we kind of came up with the idea for Mean Cabin Masters where, you know, fixing up real cabins, you know, close to home, well, fairly. Thank close God. Yeah, which is much more, you know, much more in a real house, less acting, less drama, and just kind of following
0: what we do.
2: So an idea for a series which it eventually became.
0: When we left up there, we were like, that was great. We never expected anything to come of it. We, were, we, like, we made a pilot. It was a great experience. And we were all left with smiles on our faces, ready to go back to our normal lives. And we did for three or four months. And I think, if I remember correctly, they, you know, they started reaching out to Chase, like, we, we love you. Guys, your chemistry, your camaraderie, your personalities. And that's when they decided they wanted to put some more time into trying to make something work with all of us.
2: And who came up with the name, Main Cabin Masters?
0: I'm not sure. Not us. Someone who had the production company, I believe, right? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I don't think we would have called ourselves masters. <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and the pilot that you did for the History Channel, did you ever see the final package? Did it air?
3: It never aired. We saw maybe 15 minutes of it. They put together, they call it a sizzle reel that they kind of you know, took the footage and put it together to show to the History Channel. We've seen bits and pieces of it, but not not very much of it.
2: Were you upset at all? Were you disappointed? Did you feel like it was a waste of time or was it a fun experience?
3: Oh, no, it was a great experience. We had a lot of fun. You know, I'd love to see the footage now just because, you know, we're in such a beautiful area and it's got a lot of family, you know, meaning to us and history up there. So it'd be fun, but we've we've asked and they just kind of in the archives or whatever. Who knows?
2: So tell me then, how did um, Main Cabin Masters come to fruition? Did you sign a contract or how... How did it get from idea to execution?
3: So we, that because that original pilot didn't work, we did another pilot for the DIY network. And that was the Daggett camp on Weber Pond in Vassalboro. And so, you know, it was kind of the same thing. Took a while to figure out the logistics, make that happen. We did that project. And then it was a wait
0: and see, wait and hear. You know, they kept telling
3: us How long us that,
2: did you have to wait?
0: Oh, Oh, c- three or four months, I think. And when, they, when it was airing, like, we had to go on and, like, promote the show and try to get people to watch it. Like, it was touch and go for a long time. For, like, for at least the first, what, three seasons, Chase? Oh, yeah, definitely.
2: And then, so after the pilot ran, you know, at, at what point did they give the green light and say, okay, we're going to go ahead with this show?
3: So I think I think we'd finished up the Daggett camp right before winter. So I think before Thanksgiving. and then, And then we heard that they were picking up a season... And so I think we started that following spring, right? Yeah. To show off. Yeah, we went to think it. Off.
2: Did it debut in twenty fifteen?
3: So it must have been April or May that we started.
0: It must have been April because there was definitely still snow. And they aired the pilot, right? And then the yeah. pilot got enough ratings that they signed they signed us for ten episodes. Yeah.
2: Now, did you guys watch the the pilot? The, the oh,
0: pilot yeah, we product. Had, no. We had a big watch party. Yeah, that one's in the rotation still. You can find it.
2: When you saw that pilot, what was your reaction?
0: Surreal. (laughs) Really surreal. It's like, it's, you're living your life and like, I don't know how to explain it, but there's, it's almost like there's a filter from life to TV that just makes it look like TV. It's (laughs) amazing. It's really amazing what they do, how talented they are.
2: How much footage did they film and and how much was actually aired?
0: Crazy numbers. Hundreds of hours. Hundreds of hours, over a hundred hours of footage for each episode and then it whittles down to 42 minutes. When it was first
3: starting out, they weren't kind of sure, like, you know, kind of have to build the outline for the show and what works, so they overfilm everything to start out with. And so it was just, you know, we couldn't understand why they're doing it, filming so many different angles and all this stuff. But once we saw the episode, we're like, okay, that's why they film us in front, why they film us from behind. And the production company did a fantastic job of showing off the beauty of the state of Maine, and making us not look like a bunch of knuckleheads. We're not actors. We had never, you know, no intention of ever being actors. So we just kind of, you know, do what we normally do and have fun and have fun with it.
2: Good, well, sounds like the start of an exciting journey. So we're not gonna take a very short break and then we'll hear what happened next. This is Jennifer Cook of Norway Savings Asset Management Group. Here, we believe in family asset management Simply put, it
1: means we do right by you and your loved ones. And it's not necessarily the size of the portfolio we care about, it's the story behind it. A story that's unique to you.
2: Let us help you write your next chapter. For more information, visit NorwaySavings.Bank.
3: Investment products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed by the bank, and may lose value. Taking it camp by camp, you know, having fun, knowing that it could end at any minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think we still kind of carry that on that we know it's not going to last forever and we've got a great opportunity and we're just going to have a lot of fun with it.
2: So we are back talking to Ryan Eldridge and Chase Morrill about Main Cabin Masters. You guys were just telling us about the pilot that was filmed, and I'm curious to know what was it like having a film crew with cameras and, and lights all around as you were doing your work?
0: Yeah. The- I'd say that was quite an adjustment period. Very steep learning curve. You know, everyone's like personal space. Like, yeah, a couple of guys did get a hammer, you know, or like a backswing, but more (laughs) it was just learning to work with each other because they are doing a job as well. Sure. Uh, And learning that when they're there, like things are going to slow down, but it's okay. But like just funny things like, and and for them learning Maine, Maine's not Hollywood. You know, There was times when they've asked for the most outrageous things like, or like for snowmaking machines from Sugarloaf. Mirrors to melt snow off of roofs. I'm under the impression that in LA or California, everything revolves around TV. So if the farmer next door is running his tractor, they go and ask him to stop running his tractor and he stops. Well, it may, we don't do stuff like that. You know, right. everyone's got a job to do in a life. And there was a lot of that going on, you know, what feeling the climate, the working climate and how neighbors respect each other and stuff like that. It's been so pretty So you quite- had to sort
2: of educate them you know, what, what Maine is all
0: about. But it was, it was even more than that. I mean,
3: we would be on the job site working and they would want to do an interview with one of us and they would do the interview right in the middle of everything that was going on and make all of us stop working, you know, no power tools, no saws and that type of stuff. And we're like, this is just stupid. Just move your interview further away. But again, you know, we, we both had, it was
0: a steep learning curve for both sides. There's 100,000 acres around the camp, too, and they're right there. <laughs>
2: right. And did they have bright lights, too, shining on you? I mean, those can be
1: hot.
0: Yeah. The, yeah. Sometimes they do. You know, when we do the interviews, it's it's, stuff, they, it's funny. They have all these screens for lighting and stuff. And when they first
3: started doing the interviews with us, I mean, they would do like 45 minute to an hour interview oh. with each of us. Wow. It was, we had to learn how to speak like TV speak, like whether, you know, it was past tense, making it say like oh, yeah. it was present tense, but they, again, they need, they weren't sure of what they needed. So they would be overly thorough. And then now, you know, an interview at the end of the day is, you know, 15, 10, 15 minutes, whereas it truly was, could have been over an hour, which was just exhausting.
2: And it probably also made the, made the job last longer, right? With with all these extra things you had to do in between.
0: It's amazing to look back how much would streamline the process. By season three, we were going really, really well. You know, they would, they don't have to lead us through the rivals and through, you know, Chase knows what to say, what to ask. We know where to stand. Like it's, we've come a, a long, long ways.
2: And did you feel like you could be yourselves when the camera were there? I mean, I think that's pretty clear in the final episodes, but did you feel self conscious at first, Ryan, that, you know, you were on camera?
0: I didn't really watch any of the episodes. The first year or so. They, the only time I would ever see them was if we were out at an event. I've seen maybe 40 or 50%.
2: And so how many episodes that first season did you do? Do you recall? 10. 10. 10, yeah. And at what point during that, did you think, oh, wow, this could be something big, something that can, you know, last long term? I didn't want to see it and change and
0: like... Just Like right. reading the comments online, you know, like, no, oh, thanks. What like,
2: about you, Chase? Did you ever feel subconscious? Uh, like you couldn't be your true self in front of the camera?
3: No, and I think that's that was apparent from the very beginning. You know, we were doing this before the film crew was here, and yeah, you know, we just what we normally do, but we the extras six to eight people, you know, kind of weaving in and around us. I think first day we showed up for the daggett pilot they're like is that you know is that what you're gonna wear is that how you're gonna have your hair and even ashley was like yeah you know with the pilot they say one in a thousand pilots gets picked up okay you know you're lucky if you get a pilot picked up and it was okay and they're like we've got a season one well you know one in 500 shows that have a season one make it onto to next season and sure. so again kind of just taking it camp by camp you know having fun knowing that it could end at any minute and you know, i think we still kind of carry that on that we know it's not going to last forever and we've got a great opportunity and we're just going to have a lot of fun with it
2: sounds like you are so at this point let's just briefly tell our listeners they may not all know the the show sort of explain in a nutshell what you guys do what the show is about
3: yeah we take old dilapidated cabins or cabins that families have recently purchased or have had in the family for a long time and where most most contractors, carpenters will walk into it and say, that's a complete teardown. We go in and because of the location, it, it's proximity to the water or the family history, we try and save those camps and we try and do it on reasonable budgets and keep the camp. You know, our number one goal is to make the camp usable for the family and as functional as possible.
0: Like I say, we're we're, we're saving memories. You know, we... A lot of these camps, it might be easy to take them down, but you know, because of shoreline zoning and memories, like people put the time and effort in to save them. You know, We built our reputation on doing that, taking on these projects and, and accomplishing things that pe- most people wouldn't. And now, and since then it's evolved, we've been able to, you know, work with a lot of, you know, nonprofit groups, you know, they, we've let us, they've let us do some newer builds, you know, so we, we sprinkle in some different stuff every now and then, but like what Chase, you know, just described, you know, is the base of our business and what we're built on.
2: And tell me, how do you find the the cabins on your show? You know, who scouts the locations and and stuff like...
3: So season one, you had to beg, plead, and borrow anybody to let us come and work on, you know, we're like, hey, we're doing this TV show. We want to fix up your cabin and you can't be there. Like, you know, it was definitely a hard sell, but we were able to get enough cabins together. And then now we've got a... Application on our website, so you can go there, fill out an application. So we try and group them together, and then we'll pre-scout them, scout them. The production takes a look at them, and then we, you
0: know, make our decision.
2: And how many applications do you get? Is there a, a long waiting list?
0: There, well, right I, now there's over three, between three and four thousand in the, in our queue, I believe. Wow. So the first, year we've begged, stole, borrowed, you know, like. <laughs> And over time, as our reputation grew, we've, we had to, we're in on data with them now.
2: And so, tell me how you map out where you go, because I think you have to be strategic and you know pick some locations that are close to each other. I mean, you can't be going from one end of the the state to the other. So, share a bit about that.
0: Well, you really said it there. We, we try to do it in clusters. It's all logistics. You know, there's there's so many good camps. You know, and we wish we could do them all, really, really, but. Finding, a, you know, a series of camps that might be up the same route, you know, going west or going east is not the easiest thing to do. So we try to keep logistics to a minimum or, you know, to be efficient. Well, so starting season, April, May, you know, when we get started,
3: April, May, we try and stay close to home. And then when the weather gets better, you know, we branch out, we go a little further away. And then, you know, in the fall when school starts back up, and weather, you know, starts turning, we try and return back home and, you know, stick around the Augusta area.
2: Makes sense. What are some of the most memorable ones for you, or let's say some of the most challenging renovation projects you've tackled?
0: I think the first year was a challenge because we didn't know what we were doing. We worried about everything. and We didn't know how the camps were gonna come out on TV. You know, just getting through the first year, now looking back was pretty amazing because now we do so many things that are second nature and watching our guys grow and our crews, like, they do things now that they didn't, they didn't even know how to do or comprehend in season one. Like what? Like re- replacing sills on old houses, you know, jacking camps. You know, and now it's just go, go, go. You know, everyone's, a, they're fine-tuned machine. They've got years of experience. And then when something comes up, like, you know, the, the Game Morton's cabin on Wintup, which was in four pieces. And, you know, there wasn't much left of it. And we dare to take it on, you know, and it came out amazing. You know, so I don't think there's not much that would scare us now. There's some things that don't financially make sense, but like that cabin, the family knew it was going to be a restoration. You know, so the money was there.
2: I see, and I know sometimes you—you you said nothing scares you. You told me once you found some some snakes or
0: uh, remnants <laughs> of snakes. There, are, there are animals that scare. Us. Yeah, I don't like <laughs> snakes. My wife hates spiders. Chase has got kind of a lot of work. You find poop. Oh dear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You name it, we've seen it. But build wise, I mean, we've we've. It's pretty neat to see our guys take on challenges. We've had some, you know, where the tide came and we had to do work below the tide line, and that was just fun trying to solve that. You know, you know, setting up staging that w- wouldn't get swept away, that was good to the environment. You know, not not le- leaving no trace. You know, and then getting work done in between the tides, and then you know struggling even last season with the um, tides with an island. You know, we've done a lot of islands, but you add in the coastal thing, it it, it can be a, get interesting.
2: Right. And now tell us a bit about the viewers, what you know about the viewers and who watches uh, the show, which was originally on the the DIY cable network, as it was known at that time.
0: Families love it. Little kids love it. Their parents love it. And the grandparents like so many people come up to us and say it's the one show they can watch the family. And that's a huge compliment.
2: You said that you will sometimes skip a whole season of watching, but do you guys, you know, watch it now with your families? I'll
3: watch the episodes my kids are in. I really enjoy seeing my kids in the episodes, and it's crazy to see how much they've grown in the five years. Again, we're we're all family and friends. We want to have fun, and that, you know, that means family involvement. You know, season one and two, and, I mean, we were so busy with the show trying to make it work that we barely had time to see family so we would just bring them right onto the job site and they would hang out you know and we're in Maine in the summertime so it's beautiful we're working in a beautiful locations so we'd bring them right with us and put them to work but also have fun
2: and the season runs from when to when typically from April
3: to December and you know there have been some seasons where we work through the winter but we've found that you know it's, it's not at the same pace you know, it's it's definitely more difficult in the wintertime.
2: And what what do you do in the off season?
0: We're all big skiers, snowboarders. We spend a lot of time doing that. Love snowmobiling. Yeah.
2: And and tell us do you guys get get uh, viewer mail? Do you do you hear from viewers or get any interaction? Yeah,
3: no, we've got a great, an awesome fan base
2: and very
3: loyal fans from the very beginning. And it's just amazing. It's just amazing to see the fan base It's pretty impressive to see the reach of you know what the show can do,
0: and what's amazing is you know we all have a mailbox at our headquarters, and you come in and there's always stuff from people. People are just so kind and sending us t-shirts and ladders and food, and like people it's come around food, oh, yeah, you know made everyone's coming to vacation. people drop off beer from their home state.'s it's, like, it's amazing how giving and just great people are, you know it's our fans are totally, totally amazing.
2: And when you're out in public, I think, Ryan, you mentioned sometimes people will recognize you uh, at the store and talk about the I, show. You know, the one thing we've lost
0: is privacy. You kind of give that up. You know, it's just, it's weird sometimes, but I've just dealt with it. And it's so excited to see you. You have to turn it on, and you owe it to that person. You know, like mm-hmm. and it's kind of a gift too to, to talk to someone and, you know, have them be happy. So. It, it is. I, it, I look at it more. as,
3: like how lucky we are. Ryan and Ashley definitely get more recognized than I. Do.
2: Well, you guys are all well known, and I'm. I'm wondering, like, do you have any say in how like the the show, the final show, is edited, or what the music looked like, or is it just you leave it up no, to the crew?
0: Now that it's it's like Christmas when we go to watch the episode, the ones we watch, like we don't know what storyline they're gonna take. Like it's okay. Neat because there's so many different storylines they could follow, so it's interesting to see which way the episode goes.
2: So it's always a surprise. Yeah. Interesting. And the show is now, I believe in its um, seventh season. So looking back now, did you ever think it would be around this long?
3: No, no we, uh, we crossed the hundred episode mark last season. And if you had asked us season one, you know, that we would make it to 25, 50, let alone a hundred, I would have bet money that there's no way we would have gone this far
2: is it still fun for you? Yes. Yeah.
3: Like anything else, it's got, you know, it has moments. It's always stressful when it comes time for the reveals because there's so much that's got to get done. We're trying okay. to finish up cabins. Weather doesn't always cooperate. Ashley's team needs to get in there to start decorating and staging it. And the production company puts deadlines on us. So it's always stressful with reveals, but we've we, we've learned to anticipate that and know that once they're done, you know, that it all blows away. And, you know, we're still family and friends and, you know, can hang out and have a beer after.
2: Yep. And you also have how much time for each remake? Is it a period of weeks?
0: It's usually between eight to 12 weeks depending on the size of the camp.
2: How did this show stay fresh? Because I guess every project is different.
3: Every project's different. Every family's different. I mean, again, we're working in beautiful locations and there's so many unique areas of Maine that, you know, from the coast to central Maine, to the mountains, to down east, to southern Maine, it, the western mountains. It really, there's just so many different areas of the state that, we're, you know, we're working in great locations. It's, it's we love it. You know, we love the state. We're here. And it's, you know, again, have fun with what we're doing.
2: And what's your favorite part of of each project? Is it? the beginning where you can see the potential? Is it, you know, the reveal part when you step back and see what you've done and, and people's reaction? What, what is your favorite part of, of the project, of the process?
0: One thing I love is that would go into the whole process in, you know, 10 to 12 weeks. So we get to do a little bit of everything you know, on a consistent basis.
3: I I still get nervous every time we're getting, Ashley and I are getting ready to hand the keys back to the camp owners. You know, because really? it's a unique, unique situation where the camp owners trust us to give them what they need. And, you know, Ashley and I are standing there waiting and yeah, I definitely still get nervous. I think my favorite part of it is right when we're finishing up demo and, you know, getting ready to start rebuilding and say, okay, this is what we've got to work with. How are we gonna make it all happen?
2: Right. Well, if you're nervous, you don't show it on camera. So you're good <laughs> at hiding should. that. So I know you also have this company called Kennebec, a cabin company that you founded in 2019. So tell, tell us what that does and including some of the stuff off camera.
3: So we opened Kennebec cabin company and you know, it's a place to sell main cabin mass merchandise but also a place to showcase a lot of the artists and craftsmen that Ashley worked with on the episodes. You know, she's fortunate that she gets to work with all these creative, talented people in the state and we're able to help, you know, feature their products in the store as well. And we've got a great location in Manchester, Maine. It actually is the original homestead of the Daggett family which was the, you know, the pilot episode. So it's, you know, it's awesome how it's, you know, it just goes full circle.
2: Coming full circle, yeah.
3: Yeah, it just all stays connected.
2: Great. And Chase, you also have a podcast of your own called From the Woodshed. So tell us about that.
3: Yeah, so we also, you know, again, we're answering a ton of emails from fans and we're like, hey, we're answering all these questions. Let's try and uh, streamline it. And so we, Ryan, my daughter, Maggie, and I started a podcast help from the woodshed and it's, you know, our studio is in one of the upstairs bedrooms in at our headquarters. And, you know, some of the guys we work with on the show, some of the contractors, some of the artists, local people, you know, again, it's all things, Maine, all things, cabins, all things, Maine cabin related.
2: What does it feel like to be sort of ambassadors for for the Maine brand because I know so many people watch Maine Cabin Masters who've never been to Maine and and that's what they know of Maine. So what has that been like for you guys?
3: I'm very proud about it. It but it also I think that's probably where I might feel the most pressure of the whole thing. It's, you know, but again, we you know, we're from Maine, born and raised here. It's just in our blood. We don't want to be anywhere else. But yeah, mostly proud that we're able to show the beauty of Maine and the uniqueness of it.
2: And are there ever times when the crew is there when you say, you know, turn the cameras off because, you know, there's something like critical going on or you just sort of do not notice them anymore when you are doing a job?
3: Really don't notice them for the most part. We we may be just doing something that's super stressful and they're, they're more than welcome to film it, but they start asking questions. I'm just not going to answer
2: Okay, good. So we're now going to take a very short break, and then we're just going to wrap up the show with some some lessons uh, from this experience.
0: Maine Biz is Maine's business news source in print, online, and in person. We inform, engage, and connect you to the business community throughout Maine. Subscribe to Main Biz products today at mainbiz.biz.
3: We put in the time, we put in the hard work, and you know I think hopefully that comes across.
2: So we are back talking to Ryan Eldridge and Chase Morrill of Maine Cabin Masters. What's next for for you guys? A
0: couple more years. You know, we're signed off for a couple more years of this. um, And who knows? We're kind of just one season at a time. It's amazing to see how much, how long we've been doing this. And I
3: see it a lot with my family. My kids are getting older. And my daughter is soon to be a you know, junior in high school. So I want to make sure we have some time to, you know, travel and spend some time with family.
2: So it, how has this experience changed change you or what have you learned from from this about yourselves or about life, life lessons? I think
3: I've learned just what a great bunch of talented people live in this state. And I mean, just with all the craftsmen and carpenters We, High to Summer, we have, you know, between 20 and 25 carpenters working with us. And, you know, they're all a great bunch of guys, girls, and, you know, they're hardworking, super talented, good attitudes. And again, you know, I think it goes back to the pride in the state and pride in the work we do.
0: You know, you never know what life's going to give you. I'm trying to learn to slow down a little bit and, you know, just take life for what it is. You know, I'm, I'm trying to learn it. It presents a lot of challenges too We're so busy, and you can only do so much, you know? so it's it's learning to just play the cards you dealt and not, not take on too much stuff
2: and you know, if, if someone out there is, is thinking of, you know, starting their own reality TV show, what what advice would you give them? You know, now that you guys have all this experience?
0: Don't give up. You know, and that, that's the biggest lesson. I mean I was thirty nine when this stuff happened, you know, and I just got married, you know, and like, You never know when your life's gonna go. And I'd like to say, you know, people should get in the trades. There's just so much opportunity there. And, you know, being a young kid now, it's just the opportunity they have as opposed to what we have. It's just amazing. You know, trades, people are getting paid what we thought, you know, lawyers and really prestigious jobs got paid. And it's it's neat to see.
3: I would say it, you know, if you put in the hard work, the reward will be there. We put in the time, we put in the hard work. And, you know, I think hopefully that comes across. You know, we take pride in our work and you know, we use quality materials, do quality work, and hopefully it shows.
1: This has been a production of Main Biz. Find out more about this podcast and other MainBiz Media products at MainBiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank and Maine Technology Institute, or MTI. The MainBiz Podcast team includes Renee Cortis, Will Hall, Allison Nason, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedanka. Logo and marketing design by Matt Selva. Subscribe to the Main Biz podcast at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Copyright 2022.